Um, anyway, from the North remembers, let's go to Cincinnati who, um, listen, you know, the, there's some talent here. It just has to stay healthy. They had a, they have a young offensive line that they thought would be up and coming. Joe Mixon is everything that any scout would tell you he was basically on the field. He's really looked good, runner and receiver. Um, you know, A.J. Green, past few years, hasn't been able to stay healthy. But if he can stay healthy, he's as good as any receiver in the league in terms of route running, going up to win the ball, what he can do a little bit after the catch. Um, you have an, a, Tyler Boyd got a chance to come into his own as a result of Green getting hurt. And, you know, he's a slot receiver du jour who's going to be a high-volume option. John Ross, I mean, he gets in there, and, and every once in a while he's – He's dynamite, you know, in terms of that speed, going up and winning the ball a little bit. His hands are a bit of a roller coaster. Um, (laughs) And you just don't know what kind of injury he's going to have next. He's kind of like the Monty Python Black Knight. It's just merely a flesh wound, and you realize that there's like an appendage missing. So, um, you know, but they got T. Higgins, who is a man. T. Higgins, I mean, I don't think he's A.J. Green. Um, and the way people compare him to A.J. Green, but he's more of a Mike Williams type, you know, like the from um, the Chargers. He's kind of that yeah. kind of player, maybe a little savvier, um, a little tougher, um, really like his game. So I think they have four receivers who can be on the field at any time and, and do a good job. Um, and And listen, the biggest story, Joe Burrow. So they're going to start with Joe Burrow probably to begin the year. Um, you know, the broke records at LSU, played in a pro style offense at LSU. Um, everyone's excited about Joe Burrow. Um, you know, I I think he's I think he can grow into being a good quarterback in the NFL, maybe even a franchise caliber quarterback. But he's gonna have to get an arm. You know, he and and he's been working on that, trying to get a little more velocity to those throws. Um and why I'm, I'm a little concerned about him this year is that I think teams are going to be able to look at him and go, you know what? We faced a quarterback like this in the AFC North a while ago um, who was really kind of a heady player. He could really scramble well, had even better speed than Joe Burrow. But we knew that if we tried to test him and say, you know what? You got to make some of those power throws, dude. You're going to have to put it on a line. You're going to have to like zip it in there. We're going to make you throw those targets. And he couldn't quite do it. And this was this was like throughout his career because when he started, he was actually the, the player I'm, I'm going to name in a minute. Actually, his rookie year led the NFL in preseason quarterback rating for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers under John Gruden. He was a little-known Toledo quarterback by the name of Bruce Gradkowski. Um, <laughs> and people are going to go, are you just, did you just compare Joe Burrow to Bruce Gradkowski? And I'm going to say, hell yes, I just did. Um, and, and what I mean by that is this, is that they both are very smart, heady quarterbacks who can move around. But my concern with Burrow is that teams are going to test him with that arm. And he's going to fail this year unless he's made significant strides behind the scenes. And I think he'll be a have a good rookie season, but I don't expect him to be having a Kyler Murray rookie season 
you know, or, or a Jameis Winston rookie season or a Marcus Mariota rookie season, even with the good weapons around him. He'll, it'll be promising enough, but um, I would caution people, and I'd say that as a result of that, teams are going to look at Joe Mixon and say, you know, we need to stop him. Let's stop him and make Joe Burrow throw a little bit more. Um, and he'll do a good enough job, but I'm not a... I'm not ready to say Joe Burrow's going to come in here and take the league by storm. I think he's going to be good, but not great. Yeah, from, you know, as far as, you know, PFF goes, because I get access, you know, now to all this data, you know, they essentially, you know, graded from an accuracy standpoint, he graded out as, you know, they haven't been charting this as long as they have NFL. It's just, you know, for college, it, I actually have to go check. I think it goes back the last six or seven years. But, um, you know, he's graded out so far as the most accurate quarterback that they've graded. There you go. Um, you know, now, I mean, as far as, you know, the velocity and some of those other things, it doesn't necessarily get into that. But, you know, his average depth of target was about nine and a half last year, which was tied for 47th. Um, you know, his adjusted completion percentage, which when you take drops out from the receivers, you know, he ranked second deep passing yards. He was first in the league. Um, you know, he had a very low drop rate. He had, he had really good weapons around him, which is obviously, you yeah. know, <laughs> is obviously mentioned. Um, but, you know, he was also able to, he did attack, you know, all areas of the field, you know, so whether it was zero to nine yards, 10 to 19, 20 plus, you know, he went after all of those areas, his, his passing grade in every one of those areas was, you know, in the nineties, um, you know, from a percentile standpoint, you know, and in the upper nineties. Um, the one area where he did seem to drop off a little bit, um, he was still well above average, but, you know, was whenever he was dealing with pressure, um, was an 80 and a half. Now, again, that's still really good. Yeah. If you look at all these other grades I see here, so it's not like I'm trying to like bomb Joe Burrow, but just compared to the other things I talked about, that was the one area, you know, where they, you know, talked about, um, but I am interested to see what he can do, you know, for the overall, you know, team map. But what I do worry about is this offensive line still has a long way to go, right? Yeah. Last year, you know, they lost Jonah Williams, so they'll get him back. But if you overall still just look at this offensive line, you know, I'm sitting here looking at it right now. Uh, Sua Afilo is the left guard. Um, you got Hopkins at center. Um, Price at the right guard. Then you've got Hart at right tackle. I mean, these guys – they did not grade out well in any way, shape, or form. I mean, they were one of the worst offensive lines in the league last year. I expect them to get a little bit better getting Williams back. But, but man, this is a really bad offensive line. To your yeah. point, I love the skill spots. You get A.J. Green back. You bring in Higgins. You know, Ross and he can kind of work together. Boyd's a solid slot receiver. Um, you got Mixon in the backfield, who I wish they would let, you know, do more receiving work, you know, because they still keep Bernard, you know, involved in a lot of their, you know, passing down you know, or hurry up offense situations, which kind of holds mixing back a little bit. But I mean, they do have plenty of weapons. I just, when I look at the offense, my biggest concern, honestly, you know, is that offensive line. I just, I don't know that it can hold up. And then you've got a rookie quarterback, you know, we've seen, I worry because I just remember the days of, I remember when, um, you know, thinking back to the Houston Texans, you know, back when they first, you know, started, you know, and thinking about, you know what i mean yeah and it's just like it just beat the life out of the guy yeah. you know i mean and, and so i do worry because this line is really bad and i'm i'm hoping williams can be enough 
you know, to help with that, you know, maybe they can scheme some of this stuff because I mean, they run a lot of 11 personnel, Matt, and they like to throw the ball a lot. Um, you know, this is Zach Taylor who comes over from the Sean McVay, you know, approach, um, you know, and he started off the season that way last year. Um, but down the stretch, he went away from it and it's, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was, they were just trying to get through the season, but it's funny. They were getting blown out at the end of the year, um, you know, in games, you know, listen to some of these games. So early on when they were dropping back to pass all the time. So the first eight games, they dropped back to pass 80%, 72, 67, 72, 76%, 72%, 73%, come back from a bye week Here's how often they're dropping back 49%. And that game they lost by 36, wow. and they still just kept running. Uh, the next game, 66%, a little higher. But then every game after that, 61, 62, 58, 49%, and another 21-point loss. Only one game in the second eight did they drop back over 70% um, of the time to pass. And I think part of it was they realized, like, this offensive line, like, we can't – we've got to adapt, yeah. basically. And, and I think also – I think part of it was once they were getting blown out, it was like, what was the – you know, what's the point, you know, and just getting everybody killed. I think at some point you do have to try to protect your players, but that's when Mixon really got going was in that second half of the season when they just committed, you know, to the run game. Um, so it'll be interesting. You know, do they, did they learn from that? Did they come back more balanced or, or was it just because they didn't like the quarterback play they had? Um, and now they think Burrow can fix all that. So right now, you know, on the Bengals, you know, I think the biggest thing driving my, those things are in my head, but the biggest thing driving my projections right now um, are the fact that I still think they're going to be a losing football team. Vegas has them at five and a half wins. Last year, they won two games. So I've got them at 1,025 attempts, 60% pass, 40% run. Um, so that's 615 pass attempts, 410 run attempts. Um, but like I said, I'm scared to death of <laughs> what's going to happen with this offensive line. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that, and I have, I actually have the um, the Bengals at fifty eight percent pass, forty two percent run, and I think the way you just brought all this up really kind of highlights that the love for Joe Mixon might be a little too high. Like you combine the great talent, and there's easy reasons to love the talent and the potential, but when Ryan Finley's parents are begging the Bengals not to throw the ball. Um, you know, due to the offensive line, essentially, then, yeah, you're going to run the ball a lot, and that's when he did well. I don't see how this year they're going to look at Joe Burrow and go, well, let's not have him learn on the go. We're going to have him, you know, we're going to just pack it in and let him hand the ball off, and we could give him lots of throwing opportunities to really learn the game. Now he's going to take a fair bit of punishment, or they're going to lean on the idea that as good as he is in a pocket, that he's going to be able to you know, move around and avoid people. But you got to remember that the LSU Tigers offensive line won the Joe Moore award in terms of best college offensive line. So when you have a well-delineated pocket, you're going to be able to move around really well. And that's not taking anything away from Burrow. It's just meaning that you have a guy with excellent ability paired with a team that even allows him to shine even further. So it's like, and then when you talk about the stats in terms of how he moves, he's a very good deep thrower. But it's kind of like the way that Deshaun Watson's a good deep thrower. It's like you can, if you let him put air under the ball, he's very good with air under the ball. When you ask him to throw the deep out, when you ask him to throw mm -hmm. the deep comeback, when you ask him to, you know, deliver those kind of passes, the ones where they're like, we're going to pin you, we're going to pin you into trying to hit those, 
that's where I thought he was problematic. Now, I don't know if the, there's enough data to really delineate between those two, but you know, it'll be interesting to see whether or not his numbers look a lot more like um, Deshaun Watson's or maybe even Lamar Jackson's. I don't think it'll be as bad as Lamar's, but somewhere in the Deshaun Watson category, you know, in 2020, when we look back on it, I think we, we may see that. Um, but yeah, I have Burrow at 506 attempts, 312 completions for a 61.7% completion percentage, which is pretty darn good for a rookie. Um, 3,561 yards as, um, you know, in terms of passing total, 7.04 yards per attempt, 22 touchdowns at 4.3% per attempt, and 16 interceptions, um, point, you know, 3.2% for the attempt and 23 rushes for 142 yards at six yards per attempt. I think he's going to need to run a fair bit. Um, and I may need to adjust for sack totals there to get him down to about 2.83 instead of 6.1. So maybe I'm a little too optimistic there with his rushing. Um, but Burrow, when you look at those numbers overall, you know, the interesting thing about him that I was going to say is that um, – you know, you may look at those numbers and go 22 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, 61% completion percentage, but he just came off the, you know, as Dwayne said, one of the best years ever for a college quarterback. And I think Baker Mayfield came off one of the best years ever for a college quarterback. And he had a pretty good first year. Um, but Burrow's an interesting guy in the sense that I remember watching him the year before and he was pretty good, but he was one of those guys that kind of had to find his limits. Like he tests his limits a little bit and, um, and can put himself in a little bit more. He's an, how would I, how would I put it? He's kind of an, he's kind of the ugly duckling swan kind of learner. Um, you know, and I think it's going to be, you're going to see traces of the ugly duckling rookie season for him in terms of adjustments. And then he gets the hang of it. And I think next year will be much better. What do you have for him? Yeah, I've got him at 615 attempts, uh, 60% completion rate, um, seven yards per attempt. That's 43, uh, 43.05 uh, as far as passing yardage. I've got him at a touchdown on 4% of his attempts, so 25 touchdowns, and I have him at 20 picks. 50 rushing attempts at four yards per carry for 200 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think there's a room for – a little upside from there, I think, which I try to grade, you know, to the median, you know, is, is the way I try to do these things. It's, I don't always get it exactly right, but I feel like that's probably about right for him. I do think there's some downside from there too. He could throw more picks and less touchdowns. Um, the offensive line again is, is a wild card. And, that, and that's why, um, you know, I just didn't want to do anything, you know, crazy, you know, with, even though he's got these weapons and, but he's a rookie playing behind a rough line. He plays in a division that can play defense. There's just a lot of things, you know. Um, if he had a better offensive line, I would probably be willing to give him a little bit more. But again, it is a rookie, you know. So if you look historically, you know, at the league, it's, you know, it's 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 rare. It, we, we think it happens all the time, you know, now because we have these examples that are in our head. But really, I mean, it, it, yes, they're better than they used to be because they you know, they came up throwing and they're ready to do more when they get into the league and coaches are more willing to let them. But still, when you compare them to the rest of the quarterbacks in the league, you know, it 
they typically are going to have to take their lumps. You know, they can get there, they can get close on the yardage, but it's the touchdowns and the picks, you know, that usually, you know, are, are the problem for them. Yeah, and when you talk about guys who did really well early, two of the guys I mentioned were Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, who everyone thought was, you know, because of that year. I remember having people write me and go, you know, Marcus Mariota is is the next coming of, you know, Johnny Unitas, but with better legs, you know. And <laughs> look where we are now. Jameis Winston had a had a, you know the most Jekyll and Hyde season ever um, last year. You know, so it's it's one of those things that they may start off well and acclimate early in terms of like being able to, and it may be credit to the offensive schemes too and how defense is playing, which is basically, yeah, we'll let the quarterback throw. That's fine. He's going to look good. But in those key moments, those three to five plays that actually make a difference for us to win or lose a game, mm-hmm. we, we're counting on them to screw that up. So yeah, sure. He's going to have lots of 300 yard games that first year. I think the other thing, Matt, to your point is yeah. that just like those players learn their limitations, defenses learn what their limitations That's right. are over that first year. That's they, right. They start to figure out what what can they do, what do they like, and then they immediately everybody's game plan is to take those things away first, yeah. and then see can they go to a secondary. And I think that's the thing people forget when they look at these quarterbacks, the coverages and the things that people did against Baker Mayfield. And I haven't, you know, been able to go back and restudy everything about his rookie year, but just some things I was watching him, you know, uh, a week or two ago. And just, you could tell, you know, the defenses knew what he wanted to do and they were taking it away from him. Um, and, and so I think that's the kind of thing that people forget about when you get these second year, you know, slumps, I think all players, right. Whether it's a receiver, uh, a running yeah. back, whatever the case may be, especially a receiver too, right. If you've got a certain way you like to get off the line, you know, a certain move or two that maybe your opponent didn't take you serious the year before. And now you had 1100 or 800, 900,000 yards as a rookie. Oh, that you've got their attention now. You know? So, um, I, th- I think that's something that, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the player can't ever become good again, but then they have to grow again. So yeah. I think it depends on that player and their work ethic during the off season. Are they, do they think, Oh, wow, I've got this figured out. I don't need to improve. I had 1100 yards or whatever it may have been last year. And so I'm going to be fine. Or are they, you, do they have that Michael Jordan drive of, you know what? I had a thousand yards as a rookie and I want 1500 next year. And so I need five releases off the line of scrimmage, you know, those are the guys I think that you see just continue to excel. Whereas I think, you know, the more the average person, you know, and this isn't saying this is, this isn't all walks of life, right? You have your top performers, your bad performers, and then everybody else is in the middle. I think average performers will get by with doing, if it's working, they'll just continue to do it until they're shown that it won't work. And then those people break into two more groups, which are the ones that will actually change it or the ones that will either quit or just decide that they're just fine with being mediocre. Exactly. And I think that's what happens. We're all people. Yeah, and that's how that's something that Russ Landy and I talked about repeatedly this year in our um, Scout Talk podcast. Exactly that is that and when it comes to quarterbacks especially, it's really about you need to evaluate them over about 24 to 32 games because you need to see the phase of here's what they do when the defense is playing the the pool shark hustler which is basically like oh yeah let's go ahead and play we'll put fifty dollars on it or twenty dollars on it and you know the guy wins three games in a row and they're like oh man you're so good you know but you know what why i'm feeling lucky why don't i why don't we play you know 
best two out of three for 200 bucks and the you know overly confident you know you know mark that is known as the rookie quarterback in the nfl you know says yeah sure let's play for 200 and next thing you know um you know the pool shark has his car you know and he's walking (laughs) home you know so and i think that you know now whether you come you know do you come back from that and and work hard and be able to take that pool shark at his own game because that's what the best players do and so yeah you need it's usually happens between you know usually get shut down between weeks eight and 20 of your first 20 starts and then and then if we're going to have some overlap then you'd say how the quarterback responds is somewhere between weeks 16 and 30 you know of their first 30 starts so you know we'll see how that dynamic goes um in terms of receivers listen i i really look at this passing game as a three-man show which is basically the the, um aj green tyler boyd and the running back you know um and that's so i have aj green if he can stay healthy he seems to be in good shape i'm going to be optimistic about it even though i think there's absolute reason for anybody to say he's older can't rely on him to stay healthy i mean there's no proof either way one way or the other you're just basically guessing at this stage i have met 122 targets 64 receptions 1007 yards for 15.7 yards per catch and seven touchdowns it's a comeback year for me for aj green i'm drafting him because you can get him as your third or fourth receiver sometimes in a lot of leagues i mean like come on like the only receiver that i thought was on the same plane as him when they're both healthy and playing well is julio jones yeah so tyler boyd 118 targets 78 catches 925 yards 11.8 yards per catch five touchdowns he's really proven that he's a good slot receiver and and i think that you're going to see him play that kind of justin jefferson role for joe burrow um just absent maybe some of those deep um corner routes and seam routes but i think he'll get some of those opportunities as well depending john ross i'm listen um I'm being optimistic at 45 targets, but I'm giving him 45 targets, 18 receptions, 278 yards, and two touchdowns, and a touchdown on the ground with 20 yards rushing. Um, if he's just, you know, he's he's made out of porcelain. I don't know what else to say. Uh, he's had so many injuries throughout his college and early NFL career. And also, he doesn't win contested balls at a great level. It's kind of a mixed bag. He's kind of a Brandon Cooks-like type of player, but with a with a lot less durability. T. Higgins, 50 catches, 30 receptions, 374 yards, two touchdowns. At some point, when they trot, they may try to trot Ross out there until. Um, you know, he trips over a divot and he's out for the rest of the year. And then T. Higgins is, and look, I mean, I'm sorry I'm making fun of Ross, but, it, you know, it's just, it's just stinks because he's a good, he's a real promising player. He just, it's just bad luck. I had a kid in my PE class. I remember he was, um, I'm going to name him. And, and Steve, if you're, if you're listening, you know, you know, it's, it just is what it was for you. But Steve was a, a pretty decent athlete, you know, by high school standards go, but he couldn't stay healthy. His dad was Pete Van Weeren, the famous uh, 
um, you know, Braves broadcaster for many, many, many years. And Steve, like, I remember Steve, like, breaking his foot, kicking a soccer ball. Um, I remember him um, breaking his arm, doing dive rolls and in PE. Um, you know, I, I think he got injured like four or five times um, the first three years of high school. And they're all like freakishly odd things. And, you know, John Ross kind of has that Steve Van Weeren thing going on. Um, so, um, you know, so those are the three, re- those are the four receivers that I think actually have any kind of merit. I'm going to rush through the tight ends because CJ Ozuma is basically, he's a competent tight end who can give you a little bit of surprising work, but I have him at 40 targets, 27 catches, 242 yards and a touchdown. Not all that excited about him. Drew Sample is a, is a, is a big dude who can catch. He may emerge and maybe take that role away, but I only have him. I don't even have 10 targets for him right now. Seathan Carter was a favorite of mine. When he gets on the field, he flashes at moments where you go, huh, that was kind of nice to see. And then he disappears, um, and you know, and again, I'm I look like the Loch Ness monster cider, you know, basically when I when I start talking about guys like Seathan Carter. So where are you at with this receiving core? <laughs> yeah, I, I have it. Uh, we're pretty close on several things. Um, you know, I, I think back to, you know, it's it's the Rams type of offense, right? Yeah. And then now you've got Burrow coming over and we saw that that really is what uh you know zach taylor that's what he did he stuck with what he said he was going to do in preseason which was run that 11 personnel um and and he stuck with it even in games where they led and things like that so i I, i'm with you i think you're going to see three wide receivers on the field most plays um you're gonna you're gonna have eight well and that's just their best personnel to be honest right (laughs) i mean why would you not have the three receivers on the field because to your point you've got aj green tyler boyd and then you've got either t higgins or john ross you know so that's really going to be your best you know chance you know as far as you know from a, a personnel standpoint um so i've got aj green um at 20 percent of the targets that's 123 i've got him at a 60 percent catch rate i've got him at 74 receptions 960 yards and seven touchdowns i'm cautiously optimistic like you are um, so those are my projections. I haven't taken anything away from him um, yet. I need to, though, I need to factor in, you know, at least a couple of games away from him. But, you know, on a per-game basis, that's where I, I think that's where he'll be. I have Tyler Boyd slightly over him on a per-game, so 21% target share. But Boyd, you know, is likely going to be healthy. You know, you never can say. But, you know, he's, he's not a guy that's had injury problems. But 129 targets – 81 receptions, 890 yards. Um, that's 11 yards per catch, whereas Green was at 13. Um, I like what you said about Boyd, you know, and, and I, I wasn't really thinking about the Justin Jefferson thing, but if you think about the way that Zach Taylor's offense works and then you think about, you know, Tyler Boyd playing in the slot and what um, Burrow likes, you know, and the things that he's probably used to, yeah, I think that makes some sense. Um, maybe there's a little bit of extra upside for, for Boyd to work a little bit more downfield, you know, this year than what he has, you know, in the past. And maybe he could have a big play or two that would be good for him. Because um, that's his issue right now. He gets all the work, but he just doesn't get a ton of high leverage targets. He doesn't get many things deep, and he doesn't get worked a lot, you know, inside the five or anything like that. Um, I have T. Higgins, actually, is the next guy. Um, I'm just – I'm at the point now with Ross where it's just like, you know – yeah. I, and with them spending the second round pick on Higgins, I just went with him. 
Um, I, it could easily be, you know, Ross. It could, these could be flipped, right? But I've got Higgins at 14% target share. Uh, I've got him working deeper, so that's a 55% catch rate. That's 47 catches for 15 yards of catch, though. So 710 yards um, is what I have Higgins at right now. Nice. Um, four touchdowns. And then I've got Ross for 43 targets, 24 receptions, 379 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, this is an offense, though, that I'll tell you, even though I know what kind of scheme they want to run, um, it, I'm not like a hundred, like I'm not a hundred percent sold on anything outside of AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, and that they should just let Joe Mixon do his thing. But the, the Higgins Ross thing, that's the way I have it right now. So Higgins is a guy that I've been drafting a lot late. Um, but but again, I could easily see Ross take it. It's not like something that I'm drawing no, I like, a line in the sand on. I so like I where you are. My, yeah, yeah, I just. I don't know, you know, and it's funny how these things work, you know, as much of a process as I put these things through and how I really try to make it about where the information and the data takes me, you can still always have your bias. And to be honest, like John Ross is a guy that I've, that I've hoped could have good things happen for two years. And there's still that part of you that it can just sneak in and be like, man, screw John Ross. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let him break up with me again, you know, <laughs> and just tell me, Hey, I'll call you. No, I'm calling you right now, John Ross, and I'm breaking up with you and I'm, I'm going to go with T Higgins. So that's just where I'm putting it, you know, from that standpoint. But again, like I said, it could easily be flipped. Um, I'm with you on the tight ends. I don't see a ton. Um, I kind of did a similar thing with Sample and Uzoma. Um, I'm not really excited about either of them, but I gave Sample 10% of the targets and 5% to Uzoma. Uzoma's that guy that's so funny because everybody goes and looks at his player profile and they say, whoa, look at that 40, look at this and look at that. And then when you watch the game, you're like, who, this isn't the same person. This this can't be the same person. Like, there's no way this guy ran those times and did those things. He he doesn't look fluid. He looks super tight, and he doesn't seem fast, especially once he gets the ball. And I'm just like, I mean, I get I got the guy at nine yards per catch. I mean, is that he catches the ball like around the three you know three yards away from the line of scrimmage? I don't know. Anyway, it's just one of those weird things. Things you know, you just have certain players. We always hear, right, that combine doesn't mean everything, blah, 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 great, I get it. But some of these guys that it's like where they were really crazy numbers and then you see them play and you're like, this can't be the same guy. So I've got Sample, you know, leading um, because I think he's the guy that, you know, I think they wanted him to be a true every down tight end, you know, kind of like what the Rams have in Higby. I think that's – and now they're different. I don't think Sample plays with the edge. <laughs> Higby kind of plays with that Kelsey edge to him, and people got to see it last year at the yeah. end of the season. Sample doesn't have that to him, but I think he's the guy that, you know, he was a second-round pick last year. So I'm going with him, 10%. That's 62 targets, 37 receptions, 406 yards. I've got him at two touchdowns. Um, Uzoma I've got at 18 catches, 166 yards, and one touchdown. So let's talk about uh, your backs. Yeah, so listen – I'm probably the lowest at football guys on Joe Mixon. Um, and it's not because of his talent, but what we discussed, the offensive well, line. I'm, I'm the lowest besides Nathan Janke at Pro Football Focus. And, but he's got him at number 24. <laughs> so I'm like, dude, that's extreme. Well, let me see where I have Mixon at. I might top that. I have Mixon. No, I'm I'm at 17. I have him as my 17th back. Which is still yeah, pretty good. I, I have him at 13. Which Basically, where we have him, we're never going to get to draft him. Because he goes, he goes yeah. in the first round. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So when we look at Mixon and why that is, again, they're probably going to be throwing more this year. Again, because I don't think Joe Burrow is going to let his parents 
call the the team and say stop putting my kid in in jeopardy um you know like maybe ryan finley's parents did after seeing some of the that mess last year um, I, w- I would have been calling them if my kid was dropping back right see it, hey it's no it's no, nothing bad on finley it's just that it just wasn't a, a good scenario last year um so you know they're gonna be throwing more i just think that this you know, look at this, and I, I have Joe mixing at a healthy 265 attempts, 1,170 yards, 4.4 yards per per attempt. But, you know, to me, he's going to have to score touchdowns to be a top, you know, a running back one. And I just don't see him getting a lot of red zone efficiency with a rookie quarterback. If you look at, you know, yeah, I was going to say, if you look at the Cardinals and then you think, well, Kenyon Drake last year had – major spurts of touchdowns but they came in like i think i think something like 80 percent of its touchdowns came in like three or four games last year so you know yeah like a four touchdown effort and a three touchdown effort so i i just don't see this team um you know being able to help joe mixon convert in the red zone as often so i have him only at six touchdowns I have him at 48 targets, 38 receptions, 295 yards for three touchdowns as a receiver. That's very low compared to probably a lot of people. Um, but I mean, he had he had five rushing touchdowns last year. Do you think Joe Burrow's not enough of an improvement to like get him like maybe over the hump to seven? <laughs> well, I'm close, and, and, and it's not and it's not just Burrow yeah. for me. It's that you get AJ Green back. You add a third weapon potentially in Higgins. Well, well now at least Higgins or Ross, one yeah. if one of those guys can be healthy and step up. And, and I think that's where some guys are coming from. I think I think some analysts are taking it too far, yeah. and they just think that Burrow's going to step right in here and all of a sudden throw for five thousand yards and thirty-five touchdowns, and the Bengals are just going to be off and running. Yeah, I don't think that either. But I, there is part of me that I'm like, you know, he had five last year. It can't be worse. Right. Oh, I don't think it's going to be worse. <laughs> but maybe I should be a little better than one more than last year. But but certainly, you know, I've met nine total touchdowns and nearly, you know, I've met 1,400 yards total. I think that's yeah. pretty darn good. But again, that just translated that I was higher on other guys than than Mixon, really more than, what, than anything else. It's fairly close between probably my – 13th ranked guy and 18th ranked guy so you know that's what I have with Mixon and I just have Mixon splitting receptions a little bit more I know it's crazy to say this but you know Giovanni Bernard I have him splitting some with Bernard Bernard at 46 targets 35 receptions 274 yards I will probably look into that a little bit more because I can't remember why I split that the way I did Probably. I think I think you're accurate. You remember yeah. the grid I showed you a minute ago around James Conner? Yeah. And the routes ran. So if you look at Joe Mixon, um, he got to an RB2 level of routes ran three times on the whole season. He was never – he never ran enough routes to be an RB1. And this is even down the stretch because people look at it and they're like, oh, well, but down the stretch, you know, he was really good and he had 10% target share, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but if you go look at the underlying – you know, data that really needs to be there to support, you know, what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. Only three times out of the 15 games that he suited up did, was he, did he run enough routes to even be considered, you know, somebody that, 
you know, would be, you know, even an RB2 from a standpoint, you know, of targets. You know, he did have a few games down the stretch where he got to that 10% mark. But again, remember, those were in games where they were running the ball 50% of the time. So if you're getting 10% of targets and you're running the ball 50% of the times, there's not very many targets to go around. Yeah. You know, so I, I think you're actually dead on. Um, and what I think the key to, to Mixon is if they would just let him take over the full role, but they have not shown to want to do that. And if you think even back to Sean McVay, where, you know, Zach Taylor comes from, McVay has always had this idea, even in his head of having a smaller Lance Dunbar, Lance Dunbar. And McVay came from before that, where he was with Chris Thompson under Jay Gruden. And so these guys have it for whatever reason in their head. And I believe it was last year, Matt, where they gave Gio a new contract. It's not like this contract is like a five-year-old contract. They re-signed the guy for this exact role in the offense. So where I do I think Mixon could handle the whole thing? Yes. yes. Do I think they would miss having Gio Bernard back there? Probably not. I, I think Mixon could do it all. But for whatever reason, this is what these coaches want to do. And I think so people that are projecting Mixon that high – they're just making an assumption that I'm not willing to, and that it's what you hear Sigmund say, right? Bloom says the assumption of rational coaching. And I think in this case, when we've seen multiple times that coaches are willing, you know, that a coach like this, you know, that comes from the tree he comes from, you know, they want to do this and they put assets into Gio Bernard in a contract that they didn't have to do when they had Joe Mixon already. I just don't think he goes away. And, and it's not that I think Gio's going to do a lot, but it's enough, to your point, that it hampers Mixon, especially in an offense that's not going to – that you and I both agree here. It's going to struggle. And so if I'm in an offense that's going to struggle and I'm still going to pay an RB1 price, they better be involved in the passing game. Um, and I think it's an issue. So I'm, I'm totally with you. I have Mixon at 13 overall in my PPR ranking. I've got him at uh, – I do have him at 275 attempts. So I've got him getting most of the carries – um, I've got him at, you know, four and a quarter, so which could easily be wrong. I like, you know, Mixon as a, the, the reason I give Mixon that is he has been a strong yards after contact player. I mean, people think of him as a, being a guy that, that jukes and makes people yeah. miss it. And he does all that, but he still has good yards after contact. Sure. And so when you have a player like that, it is kind of a trump card against a bad offensive line. The guys that can do that really well can still usually get to four yards to carry. The guys that can't are the ones that you'll see when their offensive line is bad. They'll fall down to 3.2 yards per carry. So like Derrick Henry, he's very insulated. Even if his offensive line were bad, you know, if as long as he's given an opportunity to, to get steam, you know, he can't have immediate penetration in the backfield. Because he averages four yards after contact, it's kind of hard. You know, even if the offensive line can just get him half a yard, he's going to be over four. Yeah, he's a falling so billboard runner, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, like, where Mixon isn't, you know, that good at it, like Henry, but he does have another element to his game where he can also kind of make the guy miss in a phone booth thing, even though he's the size he is. Um, you know, so he's kind of got a little – you've talked about it before. You know, it's almost a little bit of like a Le'Veon Bell or something, you know, to his game. He's a very patient runner. He, he's deceptively elusive, and it causes other guys problems. So, I, I'm with you. I, it's nothing to do with Mixon's talent. Right. And I've got him at eight rushing touchdowns. I've got him at 37 receptions on 49 targets. Um, there we go. As soon as those were released on the PFF, I had like every person like being like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Not the <laughs> PFF, but on Twitter. Look at these rankings. Joe, Joe Mixon's going to have 80 catches. I'm like, well, I wish he would. I'm, I Believe me, man, I'm with you. I wish that he would. But until I see it and until this team disposes of Gio Bernard, 
I don't think you can count on it. So 37 receptions for 277 yards and two touchdowns where I've got Bernard at 72 carries, 287 yards, one rushing touchdown. I've got him at 43 targets. So I've got Mixon still close with Bernard. You know, they're right there. Actually, Mixon a little bit above, but Bernard's just enough, right, that Mixon can't get up into that 70, 80 range. And so 32 catches for Bernard, 242 yards uh, receiving, and one rushing touchdown for one Gio Bernard. So I'm with you. And, like, the way I tier – I have the running backs tiered, Matt, this year, is I've got a specific tier of guys, and it includes Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon, and even Derrick Henry. And the way I look at all four of those guys, they are all guys that have challenges in the passing game because they either have a player that behind them that could cause a problem, right? We both like Nick Chubb, but we both also agree they're going to try to figure out to use, how to use Hunt some. Right. And it's going to limit Chubb's upside in the passing game. The same thing for Josh Jacobs, right? And we'll talk about him more later. But you re-sign Jalen Richard, you draft Lynn Bowden. They didn't use Jacobs in the passing game before, last year. John Gruden has a history of using two backs. It's like those guys are all together. So when I think about them, Mixon ranks at the bottom because I like his offense the least. And I also think he I also think that Chubb and Jacobs actually have more big play ability as far as breaking off long runs. And so and I have Henry obviously up at the top with Chubb. You know, I have it my I rank that tier as Henry, um, Chubb, Jacobs mixing because they all have it if they're all in similar roles and are going to get similar similar touches it's then it becomes for me i think they are all skilled well which one's in the better offense which one has the better offensive line which one's going to be down inside the five more often and i think the other three guys all have more upside than mixing in all those areas yeah i like it and bernard to get back just to wrap up with him i have missed 60 attempts 234 yards 3.9 per carry one touchdown 46 targets to Mixon's 48, 35 receptions to Mixon's 38, 274 yards to Mixon's 295, and a touchdown to Mixon's three touchdowns. Now, before we end the show, one of the things that I do want to talk about, and I think it's worthwhile for fans to think about this, because of the pandemic, because we're going to probably see a number of players have to leave the Um, you know, be quarantined and end up being put on IR temporarily for a time, I would think running back would probably be, in theory, one of the more frequent positions with that um, just because of the fact that they're dealing with in a lot of crowded spaces with a lot of heavy breathing going on around them. Um, So the Bengals are, to me, one of the most intriguing um, running back depth charts in, in the league. And it... And it isn't due to Travion Williams. I mean, I know that there are some folks like Jay Moyer who, you know, we respect the work that Jay Moyer does, um, you know, but I, he and I disagree on, on Travion Williams and his ability. I kind of see Williams in this depth chart right now. If Rodney Anderson stays healthy, Travion Williams, to, to borrow my, my new friend Adam Dorm's father's expression, He's basically trying to rollerblade up Vaseline Mountain. And I think, you know, when you talk about what Travion Williams has, he's not a great after-contact runner. Um, he doesn't have great speed. Um, I think his vision's pretty good. Um, his receiving ability's pretty good. But in this depth chart, you have Rodney Anderson. And Rodney Anderson, 
the biggest problem with him is he's had a couple of ACL tears and a broken leg. Yep. And so people are scared of, of that kind of, those kind of injuries. But, and you know, could he be the John Ross of running backs on this roster? Absolutely. Could absolutely be that. He could also be Frank Gore, who had a couple of ACL tears and then ended up now like basically being the guy that you can't seem to get off the field. Um, he's going to be playing till he's got his AARP card. So um, you look at Rodney Anderson and honestly, from an, a talent standpoint, I think he's a better receiver than Joe Mixon. From a, from a rushing standpoint, he's got as much burst and, and speed as Joe Mixon. He might even be a little more powerful than Joe Mixon. He's not, he doesn't have the agility Joe Mixon has, but it's not that far away. Basically, what I'm saying is that if Joe Mixon got too cute with the contract negotiations, um, or he or he has any kind of letdown in his game, and Rodney Anderson's healthy, Rodney Anderson could be the starting running back for the Cincinnati Bengals and be a top 15 player. He's that good if he can stay healthy. That's a big if based on what we've seen so far. But that's the guy to watch. Like, you need to watch this guy's camp um, because he he basically played like a quarter and a half of a preseason game and like caught the ball, ran the ball, looked really good, tore his ACL. <laughs> um, yeah. But like he showed what they were excited about with him. And when you watch this guy's Oklahoma tape, ooh, it's it's exciting. And then you have another guy, other than Travion Williams, that they signed off the XFL. Um, a guy that I was almost going to have a film room with, but he, but we never really got in touch with. And that's Jock Patrick, the FSU running back. He's in the 230-pound range, really sudden with short area movement, really good feet. Um, had to play around with, you know, Cam Akers and... Um, you know, Dalvin Cook. So he never, he was kind of sandwiched in between those guys and he kind of got squeezed out in terms of it really getting his shot to be the main guy. But he catches the ball really well. I think he processes penetration really well and understands how to, you know, maximize yardage. And he, no one drafted him. Like, no one drafted him last year. He tried to get a tryout with the Cleveland Browns. They were like, I think he had a tryout, and they were like, nah, forget it. And he didn't get signed by anybody. And then he played in the XFL this year, and he played really well. And the Bengals signed him to a kind of a decent deal for an XFL player. I wouldn't be shocked at all if Jock Patrick makes the team. I wouldn't be surprised if all of Travion Williams ends up on the practice squad um, and is kind of protected there. But I, I could see Jock Patrick and Rodney Anderson having a having a say in this backfield in this crazy 2020 season. So just keep an eye out for those players. I don't have projections for really any of them um, that are meaningful. Um, I but, love it. I love those it. Are guys I, you I, need to know. I definitely, I definitely know Rodney Anderson because I do remember before his injury, you know, there was a lot of hype around that guy. Yeah. Um, you know, in college, I mean, people were already talking about, you know, Mixon had left and, I mean, right away, the coaches were, you know, it, it was pretty quick anyway. I mean, I think Rodney Anderson the very next year, you know, was their lead back, if I remember right. Oh, I yeah. Back and look. But, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a bigger guy. Yeah, I, I love the call out on Anderson. I do have him listed here along with Travion Williams. 
So yeah, good stuff. And I, and I agree with you. I think uh, thinking about thinking through these things and having your waiver wire speed dial, understanding, you know, what you need to do in those situations and who are the players that are worth, you know, going and spending your free agent dollars on, et cetera, or stashing away. Um, yeah. I love, I love thinking through those kind of things. So well, yeah, good. Rodney Anderson, it's a good name to remember, man. Well, I appreciate it. And if you, if you, you know, listen, I'll give a plug to football guys and say, listen, I'm doing a column every Friday that I pitched that um, during the season called the replacements aptly named um, for this season. And you can kind of gather what that is. It's basically, it's basically guys that you would probably never consider for your waiver wire most weeks, um, but may end up getting added to an active roster or possibly being taken off a practice squad who most most of your league mates will go who the hell is that and and i can i'm going to give you recommendations on who you might want to play immediately who you might want to preemptively add to your roster and who you might want to monitor based on you know any type of results of covid positive tests that we have um midweek where maybe sigmund and his waiver wire article won't be able to you know keep up with that because it's he's working on just after the games and the tests that we may be looking at may be coming out you know tuesday wednesday and thursday um so you know they there may only be you know maybe only one or two of those players out of the year actually do anything for you but it's good to be prepared to know who they could be so um you know, on that note, listen, great great work from Dwayne McFarlane as always. You can catch him at Pro Football Focus. You can catch him at Dwayne McFarlane on Twitter. Um, you know, just absolutely a fantastic analyst, as you can see here every week. Always get great feedback about the work that he does here at the at you know, in these RSP um projections uh series that we do, and it's always a pleasure to do this with them. And again, you know, the Rookie Scouting Portfolio publication with the pre-draft and post-draft still available for those of you who are starting to have drafts. I've seen a lot, a lot of folks starting to do their August buy and say, oh yeah, it's time for me to take a look at those cheat sheets and get those updated 2018 to 2020 rankings for Dynasty Leagues that are available. I'll probably be coming out with a newsletter within the next 10 to 14 days, depending on uh, how this preseason tends to go and whether or not they just send rookies home um, like the Buffalo Bills did earlier this week. Um, <laughs> but it's a wild and woolly season. We'll be here for you. It's going to be a lot of fun, and um, hopefully it'll be a lot of fun, and it'll definitely be um, – it won't be boring. I know that's for sure. Um, so you guys have a good week, and we will see you again with the next episode of our projection series. Bye.